welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. You guys are amazing. We love Vikings. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Awesome. We love Vikings. We love Vikings. Us Romans love Vikings. John and I are both Italian. So I'm so thrilled to be with you guys. It has been an amazing, amazing weekend with the women. And it is so awesome to have the guys with us this morning. Yay! We had guys serving in every capacity here. They made so many women feel so honored and so special. I may just send my sons here to be trained. I'm going to show you what my world will look like when I get home, and basically nobody's going to be serving me. Uh, I do have four boys. I have uh, Austin Michael right there. He is 24 years of age. He is smarter than John and I put together. He graduated summa cum laude, double major, international business and marketing, but we're not stupid. So we hired him, and Austin works with us, and then next to him is Alexander. Alexander is my third-born son. He is so much fun. He is my out-of-the-box child. I I shared this last service, so I think Hannah will pop this up real quick, but he won something called the Tough Mudder. Have you guys ever heard of that? It's an obstacle case where you you electrocute yourself, and you go through like ridiculous. He shook for six hours afterwards, and then he got sick. But anyway, this is the team. This is the team, because he went and worked out on Monday. I'm like, you're crazy. This is the team before, and here they are afterwards. The prize was you got to be tattooed, and you got to go do it again on a national level, and he refused to do both of those. So anyway, he is a Tough Mudder winner, which makes me kind of feel buff just because I birthed him. And then there is me next to my husband of 31 years this Wednesday, October the 2nd. Whoa, we're gonna be married for 31 years. I love that man more now than the day I married him. And I have more fun with him now than the day I married him. And he likes me to say he's also sexier now than the day I married him, which is quite possibly true. And standing next to him is my beautiful daughter-in-law, Juliana. Juliana is awesome. Her sister, Hannah, is here with her. Hannah's single. Juliana's married. And Juliana is actually pregnant with our third grandchild. I just feel like our kids are doing such a great job. They will be married five years in October three grandbabies. I think they got busy. And so anyway, I'm happy about that. My firstborn son, Addison, he's kind of John's and my boss. He is the COO. He's kind of the one that helps us be organized. He's awesome. He is all the good, none of the bad. My baby boy, uh, Arden, he will only contact me when he needs something from me, uh, like sermon notes or scripture suggestions. He is doing an internship at a church we love, he, you know, he's like a championship golfer. He had a 67 in tournament play, and he was going to go with a scholarship to a golf college, and all of a sudden he just said, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm giving God a year, and I'm, I just really feel like God's hand is on my life. Uh, New Year's Eve uh, last this year, John and I came home, and he was supposed to go out with a bunch of his friends. They all go out every New Year's Eve and then spend the night at each other's house. Just It's kind of a tradition since they were like seven 
They've been doing it. And we came home, and he was home by himself. We were like, hey, we thought you were going out with Colin and Justice. And he said, no. He said, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me a message. And he said, I have prepared this whole message. I need you and Dad to sit down, and I'm going to preach it to you. We were like, best New Year's Eve ever. <laughs> anyway, it was so awesome. We were like, that is so cool. And he's like, now, now I need to come and preach it to your staff. I'm like, now that's where you don't get to do that. You got to serve first. I said, preaching is a privilege. We are not obligated because you are our son to give you the pulpit. So you have to serve now. So I think he finally got to bring that message in May, but we are so proud of him. He's going to, I think, preach for the first time in about a week because he's been uh, firing text messages to me on a regular basis about uh, sermons. He is holding my grandson, Asher, which I think we have a closer picture of. There's Asher, Asher Alexander. He is amazing, firstborn grandchild. Love him. So sweet, so intentional, so gentle. He's every firstborn, like everything needs to be ordered. And then I'm going to show you Sophie. Sophie is my granddaughter. She is everything Asher is not. She is out of control. She is the first female born to our family in more than 50 years. I don't know how somebody can be sweet and fierce, but somehow she even hurts you when she kisses you. She will grab your face and maybe leave nail tracks as she draws you in and, and then kisses you and pushes you away. Sophie, uh, Sophie at church uh, one Sunday gave herself a black eye. She saw her mom. She was so excited. She went running and hit the doorknob uh, on her way out the door and... Um, I happened to not be home, and you know, I love being a grandmother, so as soon as I, I got home and she came over to my house, I, I said, Sophie, how did you hurt your eye? And she just looked at me, and she very slowly put her finger up, and she said, chocolate. I was like, are you working me? Are you, I, she wasn't gonna tell me how she did it. She was like, I want payback. I'm going to work this black eye. Give me some chocolate. She comes into my house. She says, necklace, chocolate, tea, sit down. That's basically, I get ordered as soon as she comes in. But we are loving, loving, loving being grandparents. And I'm telling you, something happens when you become grandparents. Something uh, perspective and uh, a resilience to stay the course and to be sure that what your grandchildren inherit is truly grand. And to that end, I'm going to paint kind of a grand picture for you this morning. And I want to position you well to understand who you are in this day and this age and in this time. And I'm going to quote A.W. Tozier. One of my favorite Tozier quotes says, we, and that's you and me, men, women, young, old, we can be in our day what the heroes of faith were in their day. But remember, at the time, they didn't know they were heroes. So many of us are heroes unaware, doing things in private that end up going into our future and positioning us as heroes. We can be in our day. And what does our day look like? Well, our day is a day where the earth is very broken. Our day is a day where the world needs the body of Christ to be heroes where the world needs us to be known for what we are for and not what we are against. Right now, the church is known for being against abortion, against gays, against gay marriage. You know what? I'm not a proponent for any of that. But the truth is, Jesus was not known for what he was against. He was known for what he was for. He was known to be against religion. 
but he was always for the people. And if we begin to lift up Jesus and begin to demonstrate what he empowered us for, to heal the sick, raise the dead, set captives free, preach the gospel of the good near, that this is the year of God's acceptance. If we begin to do what we were created for, we were not created to release judgment on this earth. We were created to release reconciliation. We are ambassadors of heaven walking the face of the earth. So to that end, I'm going to tell you a completely carnal story. I traveled home. Thank you. I traveled home on my 50th birthday. I'm telling you what, I was in Great Britain with Charlotte Scanlon. I had caught a flight in Heathrow at 6 a.m. in the morning. It felt like the longest day ever. When I landed in Chicago to connect to my flight to Denver, I called my husband. I said, baby, I am so tired. If you are even thinking of planning a surprise birthday party for me, I will divorce you. I know we have a lot of years invested in our marriage, but that's just how serious I am. I think the Norwegian women, I had been in Norway before I was in Great Britain, I think the Norwegian women broke my ribs. I think somebody was too aggressive with a Viking hug. Honey, I just need to be put to bed. And he was like, okay, honey, just come on home, brush your teeth, and I'll put you to bed. I was like, that's all I want to do. So I took my son to the doctor on Monday. My son was having allergy issues, and so I took him to our, our family's GP, and I'm always about two for one. And basically, I was like, hey, while you're looking at his nose, can you check out my rib back here? And he was like, Lisa, you have shingles. What is wrong with you? Were you not in pain? I was like, yeah, I'm still in pain. He was like, what do you mean? Yeah, you're still in pain. You know what? You're grounded. He's like, I ground you. You have not the sense to understand that you had shingles and you should have paid attention that your ribs felt broken. And I was like, okay, okay. So I don't like being grounded. I don't like being told I have limits. But it was okay because I discovered I was home alone with my youngest son. Now, you don't know why that would be exciting for me. But my youngest son used to get up every single morning come down into the kitchen, climb up on my lap, put his hands on either side of my face, put his forehead on my forehead, and say, good morning, mom. It's time for morning love. My youngest son, when we watched movies, he would sit on my lap. He would cuddle with me. My youngest son, when all four of the boys slept in my room, when John was out of town, three of them slept on the floor, my youngest son slept in my bed. He would wake up and say, I didn't kick you, did I? My youngest son, I know, I know. My youngest son, now he just uses me for scriptures. My youngest son was known to repeatedly ask me to marry him. And I said yes every single time. <laughs> that was until the three older sons shamed him out of the practice. They were like, that's gross. Mom is old. You don't want to marry mom. She's married to dad. Stop cuddling her during movies. Put a pillow between you. That's what real guys do. <laughs> but that evening, the three older brothers were not home. And Arden and I made eye contact. And he patted the sofa next to him. <laughs> I came running over, I sat down, put my arms up around him, turned and looked at the TV, and I said, Arden, what are we watching? He said, we are watching Terminator. Now, I'm just gonna tell you right now, it was not a Christian movie. I saw the TV edited version, and it was still not a Christian movie. 
It is 80s awful. It is basically the story of Sarah Connor. She is a moped riding waitress. Every single day she goes to Marie Calendar where she serves pie and coffee. Every single night she sits by the phone hoping somebody's gonna call her for a date. So by day she waits and by night she waits. That is until Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former governor of California and Maria Shriver's ex-husband comes back from the future and he has one goal in mind and that is to assassinate everyone with the name Sarah Connor. And it doesn't look like he is going to fail because he has in his possession the height of 80s data which is a page torn out of the yellow book. And he is crossing them off one by one. When Sarah finds out she might be at risk, she did what a lot of us heathens did in the 80s. She went out to a bar. She's gonna get lost in a crowd. But Arnold finds her. He shows up, guns blazing. But at the same time as her assassin from the future shows up, her protector from the future shows up. He grabs a hold of Sarah and he says, if you want to live, come with me. Sarah looks at all the dead bodies. She's like, I think I want to live. And so she leaves with this complete stranger. She gets in a car with him. Arnold is shooting at him. There's a high speed chase. They're trying to hide police cars, mayhem. And in the midst of all this chaos, her protector from the future is trying to tell her who she is. He says, in the future, you're a hero. In the future, we fight with the strategies you recorded for us. In the future, your son is our general. She's like, you just need to wait just a second. I don't even have a boyfriend, let alone a son. This is a horrible case of mistaken identity. But her protector from the future continues to persist and tell her who she is. And Sarah has a meltdown. And if you could see her hair, you would understand why. The 80s were an awkward time for many, many, many of us. And Sarah yells out, but I haven't done anything. And her protector from the future says, no, but you will. And it was in that moment that I realized that quite often the enemy of our souls knows who we are before we wake up and realize who we are. And you must know that the attacks on your life have much more to do with who you might be in the future than who you have been in the past. And I want each and every one of you to know something that Sarah found out that night in the car. Number one, you're a target. Maybe you're like, no, I'm not, I'm a nice Christian. I'm a really sweet person. No, I'm sorry, you have a bullseye on your back. You are a, maybe even on the front, you are a target. I don't know when you got saved if somebody just said, that you just became a nice person that floats around, waiting for a rapture, passing out tracks occasionally, maybe not celebrating Halloween. I don't know what they told you being a Christian was. But Christian actually means 
anointed one. It means the day you got born again, God sealed you with his spirit. And when you are anointed by God's Holy Spirit, then you are noted by the enemy. No choice about that. You're a target. Second part, you have a choice about. You just might be a hero. I say might be because you might not be a hero. You might choose to be a prisoner of war rather than a warrior. But there is no neutral territory. There is no middle ground. There is light and there is dark. There is truth and there is lies. There is hopelessness and there is hope. There is love and there is hate. And you must choose that you are going to make a conscious choice to be a hero. You also need to get a little bit of attitude. Because if you're a Christian and you're a target, then that means you're a threat. And you need to figure out what is so scary about you. M. Scott Peck said, the whole course of human history may depend on a change of heart in one solitary and even humble individual. For it is in the solitary mind and soul of the individual that the battle between good and evil is ultimately won or lost. I am hoping today you make choices and the battle is won. And to that end, I'm going to preach to you out of my least favorite scriptures. Now, my husband has already told me that I shouldn't have least favorite scriptures, so I know it's probably wrong. But there are scriptures that I love to read that I hate to live. And my least favorite scriptures to live are found in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. I'm going to read it to you out of the message paraphrase, but it's pretty much bad news in all of the versions. Okay, <laughs> James chapter one, verses two through eight, opens up with, considered a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that, you see, you know I don't like it now. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea. Keeping all your options open. You know, when I look at our nation, it's either going to be the God option or the not option. There is not really an answer to where we are right now unless heaven heals our land. And my Bible says if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, seek my face, pray, turn from their wicked ways, not turn the homosexuals, not turn the Democrats, not turn everybody else from their wicked ways, but turn from their own wicked ways. You know, you're only in charge of yourself. 
turn from their own wicked ways, then God says he will, he will hear from heaven. And he will heal our land. I am just crazy enough to believe that God will heal our land. But to see him do that, we're going to have to let this work be done. It opens up with consider a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, another version has the audacity to say, count it pure joy, not mixed with any sorrow. I, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that at all. Let's say I fly home today to Denver, and um, I land, and my phone blows up with a bunch of bad news. I get a text message that my kids are like, hey, pot's legal. We decided to make a pesto out of it last night, and we are still, <laughs> like, floating in the house. Sorry, Mom, we caught it on fire. I mean, like, wh like what if it's like my world caves in and my, my roof is leaking and my basement is flooding and it's a nightmare and everything that I've known is stable becomes unstable? And I remember the last time I was happy was at Sparkle. And so I decided to call sweet Pastor Becca. And I'm like, Pastor Becca, you cannot believe what happened to me since I've come home. And she listens to me. And then she said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Pastor Rob on the phone too. So she puts it on speaker, and I repeat it all for Pastor Rob, and there's a pause. And then Pastor Rob says, what a gift. <laughs> this is so awesome. Pure joy, pure joy. Uh, Lisa, what, you know, Becca, what was, that, what was that song Lisa loved so much that our church wrote? Let's just all sing it together right now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hang up. Uh, I'm not going to sing with them. I'm going to hang up. I'm Pastor Rob and Becca. I know they're sweet, but I'm going to hang up with them. Because you know what? I, I don't want to hear that. I, wanna, I want somebody to get mad with me. I want somebody to go, how dare this happen? I can't believe you're going through this. So I'm going to call somebody that will do that with me, and that's Christine Kane. She's Greek. I'm Sicilian. We know how to be mad for each other. But it's quite possible that Christine and I are not looking at this correctly. Because our God considers ambushes without any means of escape to be opportunities. It goes on to say, you know that under pressure... Your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. I know that. Anybody else know that? Yeah, I don't like that. I like it when I go to the spa and they give me a soft robe and they put slippers on my feet and they say, what kind of pressure do you want? Do you want light, medium, or deep tissue? Now, I know you guys don't know me well, but what do you think I would pick? Absolutely. I want every penny's worth of that massage. I want elbows in my back. I want them to walk on me. I want to be sore for two days afterwards. John, on the other hand, they just kind of like, <laughs> like that with him. And he sleeps. He was like, I had a great nap. I'm like, how do you even know you had a massage? How do you even know if you're not hurting? How do you know you had a massage? But here's the thing I love. They always tell me now, if that's too rough, if that's too much pressure, we can back it off. That's not what the scripture is talking about. It's not talking about where you get to choose the pressure and there's aromatherapy on you. It's not talking about that. It's talking about when you feel like 
Something else that doesn't smell good is on top of you, and life is crashing down on you. And the pressure of life causes you to cry out to and cry out for things, and it locates what you trust in. I live in Colorado, and we have um, two seasons. We have winter, and we have summer. We only have one month on record without a blizzard where I live. It's called July. And so there are certain plants that if I want to grow them, bulb plants like tulips and daffodils and irises, I go buy them at Home Depot. I put them in the refrigerator drawer, and I tell them a lie. I say, you're having a mild winter. And when it should be spring outside, but we still have three feet of snow, I put them on the windowsill of my laundry room. They begin to sprout. And when I know all the danger of a killing frost is over, which I believe is in the month of June, I bring them out and they bloom. It's a process called forcing them. And God is creating climates and environments in your life so that you will learn to bloom under pressure. See, God's people are supposed to bring forth fruit in every season, not just in easy seasons. It's actually what distinguishes us, that when other people are falling, we stand. When other people are failing and faltering, we succeed. When other people cannot be generous, we become more generous. It is what God is wanting to do in our lives. It says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Why? Because when you get out of it prematurely, you do not begin to mature and well-develop, and you will end up deficient in some way. God understands our strengths and our weaknesses, but under pressure, we learn our strengths and our weaknesses. It goes on to say, if you don't know what you're doing, can I just tell you in my Bible, I changed it to say, since you don't know what you're doing. I, I seriously, I know that you guys are going to be troubled that I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't. I don't. I really believe that we are all headed to a place none of us have ever been before. You know, in Isaiah, God promises that he's going to do a new thing, not remake an old thing, not copy something that we've ever seen. He said, behold, I'm going to do a new thing. And so I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know what I am looking for. But I do know that when I see it, I will know it. I am looking for something so much more than what I have seen. I didn't sign up to be a Christian to be a conference speaker. I signed up to be a Christian because there was something inside of me that said there has to be something so much more than what this earth has to offer. I am hungry for signs and wonders and miracles. I am hungry for God's glory to fall in the church and not have it be something weird, but something that brings such God wonder that the world comes running. I am hungry for something more than I can provide. And when we need that, we pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help. And won't be condescended to when you ask for it. The book of Jeremiah says, call unto me. And I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. God wants to reveal things we never even imagined. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story of my life. 
My husband loves this church. He's been at this church. He tells me you guys are one of the favorite places he has to preach. You guys are awesome. I told my husband every time I come to Minnesota, I love the people in Minnesota. You slap them, they just slap themselves. They're like, let's do it. I said, they're Vikings. They're like, yes. Something about, something about the climate here, something about if you choose to live in this kind of environment, there's just like a strength that comes on you. And you just like put a challenge and they're like, ah. I mean, so like, it's awesome. I love it. So I love preaching here. And, uh, but I, my husband travels a lot and, and uh, I kind of like that. Because he, he's so high energy. I'm like, oh, you need to go on a trip. You need to go on a trip. I need to take a nap. Anyway, he's just like so intense. And he's just going, 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 going. And so I love him in small portions. Uh, but every year at, at Christmas time, he's, he's like home for like four weeks. And he'll go out and he takes that time to like really pray and seek God. And he'll go out on the golf course like 5 a.m. And he comes back in at 7 with like a Moses face. I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And he's like, I'm just pondering some stuff. I'm like, you're going to do something scary, aren't you? You're going to make us do something scary. He's like, Lisa, I'm just pondering. Well, 2010 was no exception. And he said, I'm going to gather the council of four. I don't know why he calls it that because it's really only John that's the boss. But there was four of us that sit down and listen to him tell us what to do. And John actually sat down and he said, uh, it has come into my heart to give away 250,000 books this year. Okay, I threw up in my mouth. I was like, uh, what is the most books we've ever given away in one year? And Aaron, our CFO, flips through it, and he goes, 60,000, 60,000. And my son, Addison, who is the voice of reason, said, Dad, how about we give away 100,000? I'm like, 100,000 sounds like a great number. But before I could even finish that, I watched John make a fist. And the fist went up, and it came down on the table. And he said, my faith is attached to 250,000 books. And we all were like, 250, 250. Awesome, 250, 250. It's a new number. And so then we stood up before John could add anything to that, <laughs> grabbed hands with him, and we prayed a prayer that scared what was scared inside of us. See, if you are not praying prayers that scare you, they are certainly not scaring the enemy. Most Christians pray safe prayers. Oh, God, let me safely get to Denver. Oh, God, let me safely go to the grocery store and have a parking lot. A parking space. Sorry, you don't need a whole lot. Anyway, <laughs> that, that's all good. But that's, what I, that's not what you were created for. You are created for something way bigger than that. You're supposed to not have scared prayers. You're supposed to have scary prayers. So we sent John on the way. And the very next week, someone called us and said, we hear you want to give away 250,000 books in Arabic and Farsi and Urdu and Korean and Chinese and languages I don't even know how to pronounce. And this guy said, I'm writing you a check for 300,000. And that year, because of partnerships with churches like you guys and other people, we didn't give away 250,000 books. We gave away 270,711. And then in the year 2012, we gave away 1 million individual resources. And these would be the gospel resources, books for girls that can't even read. We did MP3 players of the gospel in Khmer. Girls that had been rescued out of sex trafficking. And this year, 
We're on track to give away 1.9 million individual resources. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. In that equation, I was the second thought. I believe if my husband would have dumbed it down and done the 100,000, you know what? I'd still be trying to figure out how to pay for it. God is not interested in helping us with what we can do. He wants to get involved with us getting involved with the impossible. Goes on to say, people who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Can I like, can I do a worry prayer for you? Oh God, did you see Miley Cyrus on the MTV Awards? Oh God, she's just so foul. I just hope my daughter can walk in purity. Oh God, Kanye is just writing such bad songs. I just don't, I hope my son doesn't have prayer again. God, just please keep my kids safe. No, I'm sorry. Kanye doesn't form our prayers. Miley doesn't have influence on our prayers. Our culture doesn't have the right to construct our prayers. Heaven has already forged our prayers. And we do not pray worry prayers. We pray the word of God over our children. When my boys were little, I lined them up every single night. And I would say, you are for signs and wonders and miracles. You are not for death and destruction. You are disciples taught of the Lord and great is your peace and undeserved composure. That's out of Isaiah. My boys were like, what's composure? I'm like, it doesn't matter. You'll just need it at some point in your life. So we're just going to... We're just going to kick it into your future. That I'd say, I'm sorry, boys. I'm just not a morning person. You're going to have to sleep in your armor. And so then I would do the whole thing. They would have to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. They'd have their feet shod. They were like, we just want to put our pajamas on like normal children. I'm like, I'm sorry. You are not normal. You are princes of the most high God. And you will sleep with a spear. Anyway, that was the kind of things that we did for our children. What were we doing? We were anchoring our prayers to the word of God. Sending it into the future of our children. I'm just going to tell you something. I've learned something. Children either inherit one of two things. Either God's promises or our fears. And so you need to position them very strategically. Goes on to say, don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. You know what I think? Anything less than what Jesus purchased for us on the cross is not an option. He purchased love. He purchased assets to God. He purchased healing. He purchased everything that we have need of. So I think it's time we draw a line in the sand and lay hold of his promises. I don't know what you tolerated it as an option last week, but that doesn't mean it has to be an option next week. Stand to your feet right now. Let's all pray together. I want you to lift up your hands, and I want you to say, in the name of Jesus, Jesus. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I lay hold of all that Jesus laid hold of. I take up my position in the Spirit. I will 
deny myself and my limitations. I will lift up that cross and I will follow you. You are for signs, wonders, and miracles. You are not for death and destruction. In the last days, God says he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It says the old men will have visions and the young men will have dreams. In these last days, it is all hands on deck. I am not content and you are not content with what has been status quo. So Father, we ask that all that you have created us to be would be all that we would realize in our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody sit down and I can have the 30-year-old and under stand up for me. Stand up, stand up if you're 30 and under. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm a grandmother. Don't be afraid. Okay. Okay, look at me. Look at me. I believe you're going to see up close what others only saw at a distance. I believe you're going to speak out loud what others only dared to whisper in prayer. I believe you're going to lay hold of with both hands what we only handled in prayer. You are a generation for signs and wonders and miracles. You are not marked for death and destruction. You are marked for the Spirit of God. And you need to get an attitude that if you're a generation that has been targeted and under attack, it is because you are a generation that is a threat to the enemy. So stop playing around with your destiny. Lay hold of all that God has for you. Read the word. Speak the word. Pray the word. Sanctify your life. Learn to love the discipline of the Lord because his hand is on you strategically for this hour. And everybody that agrees, say amen and amen. It's been an honor and a privilege to be at this house.